This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Yerushalayim, overlooking the Temple Mount. Before we begin our class called Growing Up, we are... Um, Two questions came out. One was, why can't Hashem just do it himself? Why do we need Mashiach? And, and then the other question was, why would we have a king at the end of days, Melech HaMashiach, a king, Mashiach? Why would we have a king when kings are Bidi Evid? Meaning, if you look at Torah, it seems that having a king is not really the way to go. We wound up having kings, but it's not really considered the number one way for things. How are you doing you mind sitting right here, but next to this Tanakh? Thank you. So before we discuss growing up, we'll just mention that Hashem is doing it. That's first of all. Hashem is doing it. The fact that he's doing it via a leader is doesn't mean Hashem's not doing it. And when we were brought out of Egypt by Moses, that was Hashem doing it. But he was using a leader to be the one to kind of finagle the deals with Pharaoh and stuff and, the, and to take us through the desert. That was Hashem doing it through Moshe. And by Amin of Hashem of Moshe Abdo, they believed in God and in Moses, his servant. But what's a servant? A servant is someone who's totally buttled to their master. And so he was called the faithful shepherd. But, he, but a shepherd is busted, you know, big time busted. If he shows up back to the corral missing a sheep, He's busted. You know, a sheep's a lot of money. And the reason you trust a shepherd is to take your flock is because he's going to show up day after day with the same amount of sheep he went out with. And so so the, the shepherd is buttled to the master and the servant, Moshe Abdi, Moses, his servant, is buttled to the king of kings, which is God. So it is Hashem doing it, and he's doing it via the medium of a, of a leader. But let's discuss uh, also the king, like having a king at the end of days when we see that we were really not. It seems that when you read Torah, it says, and when you will want a king like all other nations. That's parenthetical, like all other nations. That from the words like all other nations is God letting us know that you shouldn't want a king. But then we go on with like mitzvah after mitzvah after mitzvah pertaining to kings, which sounds a lot like God does want you to have a king. So make up your mind. If the words that when you want a king, like all other nations, is letting you know that you're not really supposed to have a king, because you shouldn't want to be like all other nations. So then it sounds like he doesn't want us to have a king. But then we have all kinds of commandments about a king. Kings have lots of different Torah commandments. So the answer is, is that when it says that we're not supposed to have a king, it's really just Musr. We are supposed to have a king. We're supposed to have leaders. And God is doing it via those leaders. And when the Torah says um, that you shouldn't want a king, that's true. You shouldn't want a king. You mind sliding a teeny bit over? You mind sliding a teeny bit over? Perfect. Great. That you're not supposed to want a king. It's true. It's a piece of Musr. You're not supposed to want a king, but you've got to have a king. It's like giving Musa to a guy. You're not supposed to want to be married. 
<laughs> but you better get married. Like, you got to get married. The fact that you want to be married, you need a cold shower. But you, if you're going to move on in life, which is going to segue perfectly to our class on growing up, yo, Shlomo Eliyahu, amazing. My dear students is watching um, from years ago. Um, for you to, for you, aren't they sweet? We should all be blessed to be so into growing that we'll sit with our spouse you know, in our later years, enjoying classes and growing um, together. And how cool would that be? Now, growing up. Let's talk about growing up a little bit. Society doesn't really want us to grow up so much. It's a billion-dollar industry to keep you from growing up. Uh, first of all, you've got universities. That's already a four-year break in growing up. Many people use those years to just fool around. Um, the way I like to call university is, is uh, you know, they call it freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So I like to call it more, let's be real, I like to call the, year, the freshman year, I like to call it 13th grade. 13th grade, because society has it set up now that you finish high school and you go into 13th grade. And they have pulled such a number on us. Who they really tricked was your grandparents' generation got tricked into this whole thing. Because their parents did not go to university unless they were studied to be a doctor or something, they, unless they had a trade that required university, they didn't go to university. And the, and then there was the next generation got somehow fooled into like, you're going to be nothing without university. You got to go to university. And they tricked everybody into going to university. Okay, fine. So they studied, but then there was my generation, which I'm about your parents' age for all you kids who are 18 or 19 or 20, 21, 22, I'm um, my generation where when they sent us to 13th grade, we treated it like 13th grade because this has nothing to do with any career I dreamt of that I'm going to go get all the training for. None of that. In fact, the opposite. When we grew up, we were not expected to have any clue what we wanted. And that was considered normal and fine. And you want to know something? It is normal and fine, and I'll explain why. The reason it's normal and fine is because if the majority of your life's happening later, no one's expecting you to know everything right now. Meaning it's fine to have this, like, super broad bandwidth for where you're going with your life right now. That's cool. And society is going to be totally tolerant of, of that in you. Like, they're going to be fine with that. Uh, but what's going to happen is if you don't start figuring it out soon, they're going to become less and less tolerant, and you start getting more and more questions of where you've been. And, but it's considered today, I don't know, well, you guys tell me, you're young people, what, what, till what age do you get to be not knowing what you're doing with your life? 33, 32. Really? This is who we're, we're going to hear from her. Um, what do you say? Thirty. You can. 
Okay. What would you say, like, the average uh, American... Uh, in the average American in the secular world, what do you think they get to? They get to not know what they're doing till what age? Probably like twenty-one. Whatever they have to declare your major. You're in dream world, bro. Even eighteen, and that's like generous. What? In the secular world, so like by eighteen, most people are like starting. They're out of high school when they're coming out of high school. In the secular world, they usually know exactly what they're going for. Otherwise, like. No, I don't know where no, you grew up. That's, I think this is, uh, I think this is, I'm glad we opened this up because, I mean, does someone else want to share? Uh, where are you from back there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're from LA? I'm from LA. What neighborhood? Okay. At what age do kids over there, are they expecting you to know what you're doing with your life? Okay, but there were thought people had a lot of thoughts of what they were going to be doing. Uh, amazing. So it could be that you're in a different realm. Like when I was when I was in college, no one knew what they were going to be doing at all, and I was on a college with thirty thousand people. <laughs> Who were, you know, and it was funny, our, the area we lived in, the college students, was the highest pop, we were only 30,000 people, but we were the highest populated square mile east, uh, west of the Mississippi. The highest populated square mile west of Mississippi, and no one was older than the age of 22. And no one was younger than 18. And it was considered by a magazine, I'll leave nameless, as the number one party school for, it went on for like, 10 years and it's still in the top 10 and I graduated there 27 years ago and it's still in the top 10 of all party schools but no one had a clue what they were going to be doing unless they were like Japanese that's stupid why are you in college if you don't know what you're doing that's why we called it 13th grade because it was just the continuation of high school but now I don't know how to share my class with you guys because now you're telling me everyone seemed to know she says no. It's an argument. I don't know. Oh, they think they know. They think they know. Suggestion. They think it's serious necessarily. Yeah, expected to have an idea. People are okay until you're Ah, so let's call fooling around dabbling. Party. You're trying things out. Like, oh, maybe you're a photographer. Oh, maybe you're a student. Like, okay, so you're allowed to dabble till what age? Till what age you have to stop dabbling? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you get kicked out of your house? <laughs> <laughs> that's true, so that's true. Till you get kicked out? I'm still kicked out, but you're... Your parents are not trusting in the basement anymore. Yeah, you expect to make it on your own. It's so important. Like, just to fly, 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 fly the nest, as they say. Rent 13. Unless they put great parents to say, I... Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Think very different from the world in the secular world. Yeah. From world. Yeah. Absolutely. The world, most people can stay in their house until they get married, no matter what. You know, then 
a lot of people have a lot more time that the parents aren't willing to support them, and even into marriage. Whereas in the secular world, that doesn't happen. In the secular world, at a certain point, they're like, okay, you got to start making your own money, and you got to pay for your own college. A lot of like that's a foreign concept. A lot of them, depending on what. what yeah, it's true like, that, that I'm expected to support my kids till they marry, and then into their marriage for another couple of years. Yeah, that's nuts. That's what we that's do. The firm world. And in, in Israel, you buy a home for each kid. Yeah, how much is a home today? When are you getting married? It's like $700,000 or something. What? When are you getting married? You have no idea what you're going to be doing when you get married and you're not being put back. Like, besides your parents' money, and they could just decide not to, or they could go bankrupt. I'll tell you, the society that has no divorces or next to no divorces that really does take care of the kids till marriage and then onward has, you know, they are winning the game as far as staying married. So, so there's a lot to be said for it, even though it sounds crazy. And obviously I, I'm, I can feel the weight of it. Like that support I have, I'm expected to be doing, you know, kid after kid after kid for how long now? Meaning I'll have to do that for, you know, I started that. I started with my oldest daughter when she got married three years ago, and then I'll have to follow my tw- my eight year old boy till he's married, which will let's say at the best will be twelve years from now. So that'll be fifteen years of living like this. It's pretty intense, but it's a very good track record on divorce, like very low divorce rate, setting kids up solid. Also, marrying them off before they get trashed by society. Like, meaning setting them up young enough to marry so that they're still uh, very solid internally and the others solid internally. Meaning there's not a ton. Their heart hasn't been through the egg slicer and then lifted and turned and, and lifted and turned and lifted and turned. Meaning the, they haven't had their heart smashed. They do have broken hearts from all the friends they had in high school, you know. They all develop all these weird attachments in high school. Like everyone does that, you know. But so there is some broken heart, but at least it's not at the hands of some guy, you know, with other broken things in the process. So there's we're talking about more or less pure-hearted people marrying each other and being supported fully by both families because they're still kind of young and need the support. So there's something to be said for it. But on the other hand, they don't grow up very quickly. They don't grow up very quickly, and and it might even affect their marriage a bit because how much respect is a woman going to have for a man whose father's still wiping his nose? You know? How much respect can you have? And how long... I'll ask all you guys in the room. Once you're married. Let's say someone was going to take care of you when you got married. How long... How long you want to be taken care of? Till you just there's nothing left of you, meaning you're just completely emasculated. You know, how how long would you want to be taken care of? You wouldn't want to be you. A few months. Yeah. I've done taking care of myself. Yeah, as little as the first year. That way, I have to spend time with How long would you want to be taken care of? I mean, it would be nice to just get showered. <laughs> he's happy to be. He's happy to be taken care of. How about you? Year maybe, what? year or two. 
Okay, how about ladies? How, how long would you want your husband being supported by, by the parents' generation? Long? No, learning. Learning. What? Not long, like a year or two. How long would you want your husband being... F- Yeah. Yeah. How long would you want your husband to be not have to work? For what purpose? Let's say learning Tara. It depends if that's the purpose. Uh, um, you. Okay, but how, what would that ideal be? How you doing? Welcome. Your turn. This table for three over there. Okay. Um, how about you guys in the back? How long do you guys want to be taken care of when you get married? A few weeks. You? And you guys have married off some kids, right? How many kids you married off? Six. Six kids. How long did you take care of them after the marriage? Um, the first one was five years, and then it was the worst. Two years each. Okay. All right. So you cut them off. You cut them off. They had to grow up. <laughs> this is live. So, sorry, we're not. Yeah, we're not filming you today. We're not going to mention whose birthday it is. So, what's that? Why isn't that we're able to take money? Why are we not being able to? Because you never develop your own self-respect, and you part of being part of being a man is 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 taking responsibility financially. And I'm going to warn all you ladies here. Because a lot of these men are women and they just want to be cared for. And you're going to see that your husband's going to leave it to you to handle all these details that you never dreamed were going to be on you. Which includes like bill paying and like trips to government agencies to like deal with stuff. You know, they're going to like be so happy that you're doing that. And you may even enjoy it because, you know, you're part of the, you're, 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 even if you're observant, you're a bit dipped into the feminist movement. And so you'll be like, hey, I'm like, I'm handling my family. You know, it's almost fun when you're a young girl to be like in charge of everything. But it, it reduces your, hus- your respect of your husband in your eyes. It reduces your respect of your husband in your eyes until there's no more left. And if your husband's being supported, it's like you're married to a little girl. Your, your, your dream is to be, um, to be, um, cared for, supported, helped by your spouse. But if your spouse is getting helped, so then it's, it's a lot harder to respect him. Now this does fly in the face a bit of the Kolel system where husbands are completely supported all those years. And the, um, and for that reason, it's probably better that a man learns full-time after marriage. It's really good for the first year, I can tell you that. It's really great to just build each other the first year and grow together and have him getting lots of Torah input into the house. And then maybe, a, a, if, depending how successful he is. Now, if he's got a career in r- rabbinics, he's not leaving. 
Like I, after I got married, I learned five years. I learned three years as a bacher and then five more years once I got married. But it was a clear career choice for, for us. And so my wife had total respect because this was all training for something that I would be supporting her with. And so it was fine to live off society at that point. It wasn't so much off our parents, but it was like off society. And, and the, but for the rest of humanity, like a year, two years, if he's like really a good learner and into learning, but then he should probably start working part-time and maybe do half and half and then slowly segue himself towards full responsibility, which increases the respect. And when you have that respect for your husband, so then you have the attraction to the husband. And when you don't have respect for a husband, you lose the attraction. Now, again, when kids are young and dumb and they're kind of like rabbits, so respect isn't that important, but later it gets more and more and more important. And therefore, the man has to be the breadwinner for the family and be this, this person that the wife looks towards as the support of the family. And then her respect is high, and when her respect is high, her attraction is high. And then everything moves smoothly. Yeah. Uh, why isn't it? Why isn't it the imagine your partnership where um, both like, both sides kind of take more responsibility, like financially, cover each other, more respect for each other, like that? Why is it the same as another? Uh, um, it, it doesn't have to be. That would just be the ideal. Um, why is it the ideal? Mm-hmm. It would just create maximum, maximum. Uh, like between her adoration and connection towards him as the as the supporter and him as supporter it would be it would create the ultimate dynamic and with there's nothing wrong with her working and him working but but that's where you're going to start dealing with hurdles and stuff and and she could easily in these in today's environment she could easily wind up earning quite a bit more and it just creates more tests We're discussing right now like the perfect environment. And most people can't afford to have one income. Most people have to have two incomes. So what you're describing is probably more what's going on these days than what I'm describing. I'm just describing ideals. And a woman who is earning more than her husband is going to have to be seriously working on herself to keep the respect and the dynamics of of connection. Yeah. What would be those hurdles? So, um, why it's the proper dynamic? Why does a woman want to be cared for her whole life? Nothing's coming to me right now why that is. No, but why? Why? Like, that's too easy an answer. I, I could have said that. I believe that. Yeah, right. Let these boys speak a little bit. We'll start with Nati and then we'll go to Moshe. Listen, listen up to what they're saying. No, I don't know. What was the curse to Chava? That you'll have to be supported by men. Well, what was Adam's curse? And Moshe, take this. What, what did they do and what was the curse? Well, so Listen to what they did. You mind if I uh, 
Sure. Oh, you come up here, because uh, it could be these ladies don't want to get filmed right, so much. Right. Careful, okay. I got you. Ignore so, the camera. All right. So it started off with, you know, obviously they were put into the Garden of Eden. They had one commandment to not to eat from the tree of knowledge, right? The Etzadas Tovarah, which, um, so when the, when the snake came to tempt them to eat from the Etzadas, his argument to them was, if you eat from it, you know, God, perhaps God is afraid that by eating from it, it'll put you onto the same level as him. And therefore, you know, you're going to be able to, to be a, a match to him, you know, an overthrow him, so to speak. Um, and so, so he tempted Chava first, obviously, and she went ahead and she got Adam to, to you know, she seduced Adam into eating from the Eitzadas also, which at the time, you know, he didn't ask any questions because his wife was offering him, you know, a fruit or whatever it was. And um, so, you know, he, he accepted it. And so you could see that because um, of the Midah Kneged Midah from the close um, when after the, after the Chet, um, because by Adam, his, his whole Klala was, that he would have to work on his own, right? Because he was now put into a situation where he had this knowledge of good and evil. And so he was, you know, whatever it means that the, that the Nachash was referring to about, you know, being able to fight with God. Um, and so therefore, he, he now has to, now that he feels like he's in control and he has the power, he, God's like, okay, if you feel like you have the power, then go ahead and do it yourself. Like, go work the land until you get what you, what you put in, you know, as opposed to where before we say that, you know, bread was growing on the trees and, and you know, they didn't have to, he didn't have to work for his food. Whereas Chava, you know, all of her punishments come in and they're all um, tied to the way that she got him to commit the hate, right? And that's why all of her punishments are things like, you know, she's going to have childbirth, you know, it's going to be painful. And, and then part of the, one of the things that's in the list is that she's going to be put underneath man, and she's going to have to constantly go after her man, and it's going to be—he's going to be the one in control, and she's going to be the one who has to be dependent on him. Where as opposed to Kodom Hachet, before the before the sin, they were equals, and you know that's ultimately what what the goal is to get back to. That's a different discussion, but um, but the so so because of the way that she got him to do the Hachet, and because of what she did to him. God said, okay, since you tried to, you know, kind of like the story of the sun and the moon, right? How we have the, the mushal, um, the parable of how the, the moon came to God and said, you know, I should be the same size as the sun. Or I should be, I should be, why are we the same size? You know, I should be brighter or something like, something along those lines. And so because of that, you know, the moon became smaller than the sun. And you know, in, in the, in the state of, you know, with Michelle and the sun and the moon is compared to the man and the woman. So it's the same kind of story reflects down onto, onto multiple different levels. So that's, that's what I got on Adam and Father. <laughs> Anyway, so the curse on the curse of of Eve was that she would be dominated. She's going to be dominated by says Vehuyim Shalbach, and he will dominate you. And and she pulled this dominance thing, got him and got herself and him in major trouble, having already fallen to the seduction of the snake. And in the end, she's she's now dealing with with childbirth. And um, and she's dealing with um, with him dominating, but but she's going to want this. But that's a Torah source for your question. And uh, and you said like who says just because God says? Or you could also say who says just because Torah says. But I do have one funny story. I feel bad to share right now. So I, you had your hand up again. So yeah, yeah. The ways that um, men and women, like their roles are supposed to be naturally after, um, after a certain time. Why is it that some women are much more dominating their relationship and they kind of see 
Why are the roles reversed? Yeah. Right. So, so the there's there's order and there's chaos in life. There's order and chaos. You'll notice that you're like a glutton for chaos. Like your life could be ordered, but then you'll always do something crazy. And people love sports, extreme sports and stuff. Or, or we have a schedule, but we'll perfectly mess it up and, and stuff. There's order and chaos. So this was the order. This was the order, and that's why you'll find people on the more conservative side, more on the right, will will appreciate order, and people on the left will will appreciate chaos. And there's something a lot to be said about chaos because chaos is where you grow. You know, if your life always goes exactly as planned and everything's completely as programmed, you never grow. You grow from the curveballs in life. That when things get chaotic and you get pressed, and now you gotta like somehow grow through this, you're gonna have to shine in this situation. So, so this generally is a breakdown between conservative and liberal ways of looking at the world, but they're both right. It's just that, that the, the, it's easy for us to look at the kind of, at the more conservative order of life, as opposed to the chaos, the order of life to see it as tyrannical. You get that? To see it as somehow stopping us from progressing in some way. And it does. They're not wrong. But you don't want to kill it. You don't want to shoot order. You understand? You want to respect order, but push into the limits. So so what we're looking at is is, is kind of a, a society and a media and a university intellectual class. Hold on a sec. You got a society in media in a university level intellectual world academic world that has kind of made war on order and has bolstered the the woman into male roles and but at much of the expense of the of women at an extreme cost to men and hence so many men feeling lost and women feeling not a lot of respect for them and it's gotten so intense that that generals have gotten in general, uh, generals have gotten in, um, almost, uh, in, at least in Western society, gender roles have gotten um, confused. Meaning with things that, uh, that most of us would consider the most obvious thing in the world, that if you were born with male or female genitalia, that you are a boy or a girl, no matter how you feel. And no matter how much female I may feel inside me, I'm a man and I got to play the man game in my life. And the female side of me will maybe make me better in prayer, maybe a more caring father, uh, you know, a little more uh, uh, empathy will come out of me than, uh, than maybe even a woman who's got a lot of masculine traits. But she's a woman and I'm a man in the end. It's just that I get to use that part of me. But, the, but things have gotten so... The, the attack on order that started in the 50s with, uh, in women's, uh, uh, the women's world, uh, which originally was called women's liberation, which had turned into feminism. But that kind of militant attack turned out to be the ultimate tyranny to the point where men apologize for even being men to the point where men today are, now there's different, uh, this may be because of too much tofu in our diets, but it might also be that men just lack testosterone levels that they had back before the 1950s. They've actually physiologically changed. You also notice that men are drawn towards tight clothing now and very girly outfits. And, uh, 
and there, there's just this feminine man thing going on. Um, yeah, and the, the dandies. That's what these young guys are kind of like dandies. And they're. Well, that's a little different. You can't bring up Indians. <laughs> that's warrior stuff. Very man's. That's very man face paint. You know. Um, but I don't think. I'm not sure. I have to check it out. I can't answer you on the dandies. When were that? Like the 1800s? Yeah. So when were the dandies? Were the rule and the exception? Oh, that was like what was considered to be attracting women. Uh-huh. Like sit around like, just, you know, relax, not work hard. Really? Yeah. I have to look that up. Where, what would I look up to study that? Danny. Really? Just Danny? Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Sorry, I'm coming to you. I just, we're having this dialogue. So, <laughs> One um, yeah. So you said, so it sounds like you think like uh, a more dominating male is more like uh, part of the order was like uh, more like Right. Very well said. What's your name? Ari. Ari? Yeah. yeah. So it is seem it seems to be the new order is to have that stronger woman in the in the less dominant man. And uh, just I just gotta give a shout out. One of my oldest friends just came on. Hi Andrea, nice to see you on on this uh on this live chat that's so cool it's on every day by the way i don't know what time zone you're in but good morning because i imagine you're not in israel right now so unless you're in europe so good morning um there was no choice i mean this was like one of my best high school buddies just popped on him so um what you're saying, Ari, is cute and sweet. Like, let the new order be that women are these, like, powerful things and men are the dandies, you know, in their spandex outfits. So, I'm, I'm, it, I'm, not, what, I'm not necessarily saying that it's like the new order. I'm saying that it is what's natural. It is what's happening. It is what's natural for some people and maybe that's being less suppressed because of the new order. Right, so, so that is what's happening and that maybe that's the new order of things. But, but, the, but you want to hear something amazing. Um... It works great for a while, but there's something that you're not taking into account. And all of us have to think about this. And the women also have to think about this is that, you know, men go through a major shift. Every man is born a little girl, you know, go look, go look at my eight year old boy. He's just this huggy, loving, high voiced, you know, I mean, if he, if if he were wearing a skirt, you know, and instead of pants, long hair, It'd be for sure a little girl. He's just the cutest little girl. And <laughs> and you were a little girl too, young man, Mr. No, Not True. Mr. Beard. There's like 30-year-old guys who are like, wait, put them in big size, they'd be stronger than every guy in this room. They'd pick up their own weight, they're like ants. You were a little girl and you had to transition into manhood when you went through puberty. No, I didn't. <laughs> well, I was you're one ugly girl, bro. Listen to me. You you did transition from a little boy. Fine, if little if the word little girl is bothering you, you had to transition from a cuddly little kid. <laughs> the rest of us men were born little girls, and we had to transition. And our vo- our voices transitioned. 
And we had to like, and then, and those who were raised observant had to like get bar mitzvah. And now they're like, and now suddenly you're like expected all these things and like synagogue three times a day and tefillin. Like, it's like, man up, kid. And meanwhile, there's a little 13-year-old prepubescent usually. It's just like getting forced into this. He's like, it's like every other tribe. All ancient tribes have a rite of passage where they transfer boys from child to man. Women don't have to go through that. I've raised five girls and they all just, it's just a smooth mode. Like just they smoothly move from girl to woman. It moves quite smoothly. The boys, it don't move smoothly. We have, we have to, boys, what? Tribes of rights of women are passage for women too. Yeah, there are many tribes with, with, and it's good. It's not bad. We have bat mitzvah, but it's like, it's not a joke. It's serious, you know, the girl, you know, we have her take challah and we send her to the mikvah to toivel our, you know, spoons and forks and stuff in the mikvah and, and, you know, we give her her little jobs. But I'll tell you, I have a 13-year-old girl, she's already a year after, and she runs around with her best friend, who's my 11-year-old daughter, or 10-year-old daughter. The two of them run around, they're like the cutest things in the world, there's just... It, there, there was no real transition going on. She's just doing a natural progression. Boys don't have that. Boys don't have that um, luxury to do the smooth transition. But this is, by the way, this isn't even our subject. Our subject is that it seems like women just have this smooth transition. Well, guess what? Something happens to women in their late 30s where they have this intense transition take place. Where a woman in her late 30s, like 30, some get a little earlier, 36, 37, 38, 39. But what happens to a woman at that point of her life is she gets super feminine. Super feminine. And meaning all the female in her, it doesn't matter how masculine her role was. doesn't matter if she was the breadwinner. Doesn't, all that stuff becomes irrelevant. Are you listening? This was your answer. It's just that we kind of got from this men's transition thing. This was all to get to women's transition. Is a lot of people don't realize that women, and I'm sure there's a term for it in sociology or, I don't know, anthropology, of women's transition. But a woman in her late 30s has this massive transition into like superwoman, meaning super female. Not the opposite of superwoman. Super female. And if the roles are the way Ari explained it, that, you know, hey, this is what's going on. So, like, don't fight it. If the roles are like that, so then tell me, what, is, what does female want? What does a female want, naturally? Attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, a, a female wants a male. And if a woman's very, if a man's very feminine, feminine, he'll want a male too. Female wants male. So if a man has a lot of feminine, he'll be attracted to males more than the average man. And a female who's very male will be attracted to females more than the average female. Meaning it's just going to come naturally because male and female, they like each other. Male and female, it's like batteries. You know, there's the plus and the minus. Those go together. And, uh, and so... Female and male attract. Now, you're, so Ari's saying that if society today has women in much more of a masculine style and men in a more feminine style, so hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Except what happens is later, Ari, when the woman's 37, 38, she suddenly has this like massive feminine experience. Now, by the way, that goes away in her late, and when she turns 50 
plus. And it could be, I've heard it described by someone who's a psychologist, could be that, that this is kind of their last big 10 years as female or last 12, 15 years as female where, you know, before menopause, where it's just like all that femininity just starts blasting through her. And the problem with that is that when she turns 38 or 37, 38, whatever those ages are, and this intense female comes out, she's smelling for what? What's she looking for? Yeah, she's looking for some male. She wants male, and she may not be married to one. And this you can Google later, but check out if there's an interesting statistic. Check it out yourselves. Google it after. If there is not a statistic of women discarding their husbands between the ages of 38 and 45. Of, are Jewish? That's a good question. Is that what you want to ask people? No, I was before. Wait, wait, I'm still yeah, in the zone. One sec. I don't know the Jewish percentages, but women discarding their husbands. So I can just, all I can tell you from my own experience as a rabbi is that we are having epidemic amounts of Jewish, because we're rabbis, epidemic amounts of Jewish women. Well, it's really Jewish men coming for help, but Jewish men getting tossed out. At the when their wife turns in her late eight thirties, and they were going with what you were saying, like the more modern approach, where there was much more of a balance of power, and these men are getting thrown out. Now, if you know anything about history, and Torah goes into this in detail, is that traditionally who threw who out when he turned fifty, forty-five? Is that husbands would trade up. You know, they, they may not kick their wife out. I mean, she gave them all these kids, but they likely would marry a younger girl then and add, polygamously, add a young girl to his repertoire, and to, meaning to his wives. And, and it's considered, the Torah has spoken for millennia about how negative it is for a man to trade up his wife. But I remember growing up and watching men in L.A., and I kept saying to my mom, like, why are they getting divorced? And 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 then it was like, why is he married to someone 20 years younger than him? Why is he married to this young lady? Like, women were getting discarded by their 45, 50-year-old husbands. Well, now what are we getting as rabbis? And I can only tell you this as an experience of rabbis, and my fellow rabbis here at Ace are getting the same thing, is we're getting men crying to us like little girls. And that's part of the problem. Men crying to us that she's throwing me out. I'm getting tossed by, and then we're saying to him, well, you know, you don't have to let your marriage dissolve at her hands, at her request of dissolving the marriage, but you're going to have to be a man for her. You're going to have to be a man for her. And here's the biggest proof of everything I'm saying is that the men that actually got trained, like they actually got what's called man training, which is a highly controversial thing in the face of left, the left today. But the men that got the training were able to turn their marriages back around from situations that there's not a person in this room that would say it was savable. There's not a person, everyone in this room, everyone, I promise you, everyone who would say, forget it, give her a get. It's too far gone. There's nothing salvageable here. And, but they got trained as men. And we call it man training. I don't know if it has a term because it's so controversial that it's better not to make it Googleable. 
<laughs> Don't worry about it. But they got man training and saved crazy crash and burn situations so much though that us as rabbis now never give up anymore. When come, someone comes to us with a crash and burn for sure give or get situation, we say, you know what we tell them? We say, give or get in six months. Six months of training and if you didn't, if you weren't able to heal it up and give her the man she wanted, then give her a get. But, but you can't give her a get until you've become a man for her. Now they, now, they had no issues for a good 15 years, some of them 20 years of marital bliss, like Ari was saying. The balance worked. But what I'm saying is it's cute and sweet until she goes through that transition. And when she goes through that highly feminine transition, it's no longer cute and sweet. And it's, it was cute and sweet before, and it was a wonderful, you know, theoretical, modern marriage, but... It doesn't work once her physiology switches to, to you know, the feminine really starts pouring out of her. Um, I feel bad. I know you and I keep dialing, but he's had a question from the beginning. I don't mind going back, but just give him a second. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so it seems like Remy's saying the only way that someone's going to have a good marriage is by being the man. It's, that's what he's saying. That's the only pathway. But having a total lifestyle, you look around, I can say, I don't know, all of us, most of our parents are there are having a marriage and they're more than they're older than 40. So there must be, that this might, this might be a good way, but definitely there's other pathways to having a marriage. This is just one of the essential ones. Meaning we are humans with souls and Jews are really good at the soul part, but we are part animal. And that, that does, a woman's desire comes from respect. And if she doesn't have that man, she doesn't have that respect. And so things go down, things go south quick, even in people who have kind of risen beyond the, the animal, you know, because they're so spiritual, like in the Jewish world. I can tell that I overstayed my welcome because there's a lot of people just walked in for the next class. So are you, ask me outside for a second. Okay. Shalom, everyone. Hey, You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.